we are still in the launched series. And this is a fantastic thing that we're talking about in terms of using this imagery of launched, because today we're going to be in Acts 13. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn in Acts 13. You can use the Bible in the pew in front of you. Or if you have over 40 eyes, you can use the booklet with the large print, as I may be doing for now. <laughs> but this idea of launched today is entitled To the Moon, Part 1. And when you think of to the moon, I want you to think in terms of, before we get into God's word, I want you to think in terms of the space race we talked about last week. Competing ideologies. The United States and the Soviet Union. And as we know, in July 20th, 1969, how many of you were alive back then? Still quite a few of you were alive back then. Do you remember the day when Neil Armstrong stepped on the moon. Yes, some of you do. This is a pivotal moment in the space race because the United States won. They got to the moon. It's a victory of sorts. And when the flag is, of the U.S. is planted on the moon, now it is one small step for a man and one giant leap for mankind, but it was still the U.S. flag that was there. Now today, I'm not speaking in terms of saying, hey, the U.S. stands for the apostles and the USSR stands for the enemies of the cross. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but it's that idea of the space race, the contention between these two parties and what actually wound up happening because we're going to see something very similar to that unfold in God's word today. Now, before we get into now, listen, uh, Acts 13 is very long. <laughs> it's, it's 52 verses. So I'm going to give you an intro and orient you to where we're at. Because when we left over, Peter had broken from prison. Remember that? And they had a massive prayer meeting at John Mark's mother's house in Jerusalem. Remember that? But we also heard that, that we have Paul and his friend Barnabas, and Barnabas's cousin, John Mark, the very man whose house that prayer meeting was taking place in, they all went from Jerusalem and returned to Antioch in the Roman province of Syria. You see Antioch up there in that map. We've got maps this week. Now, for those of you who don't know, what we're looking at here is the island of Cyprus and modern-day Turkey, what we call Turkey. Turkey was broken into several Roman provinces, but I don't want you to focus and get lost in too many of those details, because we're talking today, rather than getting into a big historical, exp historical exposition on every single one of these cities, we are talking today about, in particular, some of the things that happened in some of these cities. Now, when they were in the church in Antioch, they were sending, they were going to send some missionaries out to the moon, if you will. They're going to send missionaries out. But before they did so, the church leadership at the beginning of chapter 13 is praying and fasting to see who the Holy Spirit has chosen. And the Holy Spirit set aside Paul and Barnabas to do this work. And so they went from Antioch up there to Seleucia or Seleucia, which is a port city. And from Seleucia, they sailed to Salamis, which is on the island of Cyprus. 
And it says that they went to the Jewish synagogues. They're trying to go to a prepared people to spread the gospel, to spread the good news. And they go through all the, the island of Cyprus and they end up at Paphos, where the governor, the Roman governor is, this man, Sergius Paulus. And Sergius Paulus is listening to Paul share the gospel, but Sergius Paulus has this Jewish magician, a Jewish sorcerer whose name is Elimas, whose name is also Bar-Jesus, which would be not referring back to Jesus because this name Jesus is very popular amongst the Jews at that time. It's the same name, Yehoshua or Joshua. So he's the son of Joshua. But this man, he is, sees that the governor is falling for Paul's message, and he starts to go against Paul Paul curses him, and this man is blinded. Now, for Paul and Barnabas, all of this is so new, and for John Mark, it's all so new, but they are taking to it like a duck to water or like a rocket to the atmosphere. John Mark, I'm not so sure if, how well John Mark is taking it, but we're going to pick up the story right there. They're still in Paphos, this Sergius Paulus, he did come to know the Lord. We will see that brother in glory one day. But let's pick up where the story left off for there. Verse 13, Acts 13, verse 13. We're going to go through 15. Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. But John left them and returned to Jerusalem. This is just passes by so quickly. John left them. It could be not that big of a deal. Maybe he said, I'm going to go through Cyprus, and then I'm going to go back home to Jerusalem to where his mother's house is. But as it turns out, this small little detail, and this is why, as a Bible teacher, I want to implore you to get into God's Word. There's so many amazing things in there. It's just waiting for you to see it, and you're going to see it a lot today. But here we see John Mark went back, and we're not going to find out until Acts 15 how Paul feels about it. I like this. I understand it's a cartoon, and it's kind of kids looking, but look at that. Uh, Paul's the one in green in this depiction. Barnabas is in red, and John Mark is in yellow, it appears on the screen. The look on Paul's face the anger that Paul feels at this moment is not going to come out until they plan to go on their second missionary journey in which Barnabas, you know, anybody know what Barnabas' name means? Louder? Son of encouragement. He lives up to that because he's an encourager. And so Barnabas wants to take John Mark with them when they start their second missionary journey, and they have such a dispute because Paul says, we will not take the one who abandoned us to do this work. We don't have the full details as to why John Mark did it. There's a lot of speculation. But the, the point is this, he left them, and Paul did not want to take him with them again. Paul shepherds horses. Barnabas shepherds sheep. But we are all sheep. John Mark was not allowed to go on this trip with Paul, and so he split for the second missionary trip. Not the one we're talking about now, but the second one. Paul went one way, and Barnabas and John Mark went a different way. 
because Christians fight with one another, which is a sad thing. And this man, John Mark, he needed the son of encouragement to go with him because he probably was afraid after everything he saw in Cyprus, whereas these other guys took to it like a duck to water. He did not, and he had to return. And that is the, the yellow line you see going back down. I will say this, though. The story doesn't end there. Paul says in Colossians 4.10 and in 2 Timothy 4.11, he lifts John Mark up as being useful and a man worthy of being greeted. And indeed, he is the man who writes the gospel of Mark because he becomes Peter's right-hand man and he writes down what Peter had said. So the story didn't end there, but this is worth pausing it is worth pausing and considering this, this issue that's happened. Verse 14. But going on from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch. Not to be confused with Syrian Antioch. Pisidian Antioch is up there in Turkey, modern-day Turkey. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue officials sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of exhortation for the people say it. So the synagogues, their, their strategy on Cyprus was to go to the synagogues, and here they are doing the same strategy, going to a prepared people. But I want to focus a little bit. We're going to break this up again and look at what are some applications. And my friends, I want you to know there are many applications that you can get from God's Word. I said it last week. I'll say it again this week. If you, didn't, if you have an application that's not on the screen, that's okay. I can't put them all in here. If I was to put them all in here, we'd be here till next, next Sunday <laughs> discussing them all. But don't give up on a growing Christian. Encourage them. Paul wanted to give up on John Mark. Barnabas, leave him. He left us. Leave him behind, and you and I will go. No. John Mark needed time. And different people have a different purpose. Paul didn't need to be the one to stay with John Mark. Sometimes you are not the one that needs to stay with whoever you're with. Sometimes God has someone else intended for them. That's why Barnabas is the son of encouragement. So people come and go in God's timing. It's God's timing. It's God's timing, and his work is still accomplished. Because when they're going to split up in the second missionary journey... Barnabas and John Mark are going to go to Cyprus. And it's great because Barnabas is from Cyprus, so he's very comfortable there, and he's cousin with, with uh, John Mark, and so John Mark's going to feel very comfortable there. And then Paul goes overland back into the regions that they're going into now. So they split up, but the work of God is multiplied. Just like when persecution hit the church in Jerusalem, and everybody spreads out, the word of God spreads out with their spreading as they go out from one another. And God is not in a hurry to make his man or woman. John Mark did not have to be there right away. So when you're sitting there looking at somebody, you, you should give them time. Look at them with a different set of eyes. You know, Moses, I heard this in seminary from uh, one of my professors there. He said, Moses, spent 40 years thinking he was someone. Then he spent 40 years listening to sheep go, bah. By the time he was 80, 
God was ready to use him. How many of you are over, or 80 or over? No one in this whole church is ready to be used, apparently. <laughs> Give it time. We're almost there. <laughs> but that's the, the point is this, not that you have to wait until you're 80, but the point is God is patient. And if you're really frustrated with that person, maybe you need to hand them off to somebody else. And then if you are that person, your failure is not the end. Keep going. John Mark could have been so offended by Paul. You know what he could have done? He could have blamed God and said, how could God do this to me? I'm done with this Christian walk. He could have done that so offended because Paul said no. No, he kept going on because Paul is not God, nor is Barnabas. So those are some of the applications to get from this. But as we move on, let's go back to that synagogue. The synagogue, they had just got done reading from the law and the prophets, and they have asked Paul and Barnabas, if you have anything to say, come on up and say it. They didn't know what they were getting themselves into. <laughs> All right, verse 16. Paul stood up and motioning with his hand, hand, he said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. Men of Israel, and you who fear God. Do you know who those people are? They're in Antioch. They're in Pisidian Antioch in the middle of Turkey. And he's saying, men of Israel, and you who fear God. It's God-fearing Gentiles that have been going to the synagogue. They are converts. To Judaism. And so he is speaking here to a mixed group. And Paul, this is Paul's first sermon that we're going to see, recorded sermon in Scripture. He's probably given some in Antioch, but this is the first one that we get from him. We know he definitely gave some over in Cyprus, the island, not Texas. continues in verse 17, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out from it. For a period of about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. I like the way he, he says that God put up with them because if you remember, they rebelled and they didn't do what God said, go into the land. And they said, oh, there's giants in the land. We can't go into the land. But it was God who fought from them, or God who fought for them. It's God who delivered them from Egypt, but they were afraid. So for 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And Paul is giving them this history lesson for a reason. This is all going somewhere. When he had, uh, verse 19, when he had destroyed seven nations, that is God, when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. After these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. After he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom, concerning David, he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. 
From the descendants of this man, according to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, and this is where he's getting to it. They all know the history lesson. They all know about the Exodus. They all know about the conquest of Canaan. They all know that Saul was the first king. But he said the promise, because Scripture talks about a lot of promises where David is concerned. And I will, I will first point you to Genesis 3.15. The seed of the woman shall crush the serpent's head. The seed from Eve. The one will come from Eve. And how many of you came from Eve? Well, that's all of us. We all came from Eve. So, from that perspective, we all have a shot at being that one that will crush the serpent's head. But the Bible doesn't just leave it at Eve. In Genesis 12, it goes on to Abraham. Through Abraham's seed, through his offspring, through Abraham, all the families on earth will be blessed. How many of you can trace your lineage through Abraham? Well, none. I know Jarrett can in the back. Hi, Jarrett. <laughs> so we've got, we went from the whole church to just Jarrett. But the deal is this, someone from Abraham is going to bless all families on earth. And then when we get to Genesis 49, we see that Jacob on his deathbed, he is He's telling his sons what it will happen in the future. And when he gets to Judah, and he's talking about Judah and prophesying and talking about Judah, he says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. From Judah will come one who will rule all the nations. Judah is the tribe of the kings of Israel, but from the tribe of Judah, one will come who will rule all the nations. That narrows it down even further. You, you, we started with Eve, then we narrowed down to Abraham, and now of Abraham, Judah is one sect, and then we get into David, which is exactly where Paul took them, because we see in 2 Samuel 7, God makes a covenant with David and with his line. One will come from David. David's line, his throne, shall be established forever. A forever person will fulfill this covenant promise to David. And this is what Paul is pointing at in verse 23. From the descendants of this man, according to promise. He's dealing with the prepared people. They know all about this, and they have all sorts of ideas about who the Messiah is and what the Messiah is going to do. According to promise, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus. He said it's happened the one we've been waiting, narrowed down all the way from Eve to Jesus of the line of David. It has all come down to this. Verse 24. Now he's going to fast forward to some things. And remember, this is in Pisidian Antioch. These are Jews that don't live in Jerusalem. They don't know the whole story. Paul is filling them in. After John had proclaimed, that's John the Baptist, after John had proclaimed before his coming, before Jesus came, his ministry started, after John had proclaimed before his coming a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and while John was completing his course, he kept saying, what do you suppose that I am? He's asking the people, who do you think I am as John the Baptist? I am not he. He's not the Messiah. 
But behold, one is coming after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. This is new information that they're getting. Because they're, they're in Pisidian Antioch and not Jerusalem. Verse 26, Brothers, sons of Abraham's family, and those among you who fear God. Who are those among them that fear God? The Gentile converts, the Gentile believers. To us, the message of this salvation has been sent. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, recognizing neither him nor the declarations of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, those rulers fulfilled these by condemning him. I will point you to Isaiah 53. They despised him. They rejected him. He went to his own people, and his own people rejected him. And this Paul is pointing to. And though they found, verse 28, and though they found no grounds for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. They're hearing this for the first time. Okay, so Jesus is the guy, and now he's dead. This has got to be a, a moment of shock for them. When they had carried out everything that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. He was risen from the dead, and those that saw him are alive at this time and spreading the truth of this and the evidence of it. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers. Listen, God's story doesn't change. The Bible weaves it all together from the beginning, from Genesis. Genesis 3 is the first promise we get. The first woman, a promise is made. The promise is made to the fathers, verse 33, that God has fulfilled this promise to those of us who are the descendants by raising Jesus, as it, also is, as it is also written in the second psalm. This is Psalm uh, verse 2. You are my son. Today I have fathered you. Jesus is the son of God. He has many titles. He is the son of God. And this is pointing them to them. To, to Psalm 2. Psalm 2 says that the world rebels against God's anointed Messiah. But God says of him, you will rule. You will rule all nations. And later in, Psalm, later in Psalms, it says that he will sit at the right hand of God until God makes his enemies a footstool for him, and then he shall return. Verse 34, as for the fact that he raised him from the dead never again to return to decay, he has spoken in this way. He quotes Isaiah 55, 3. I will give you the holy and faithful mercies of David, and I want to read for you the next verses after that. Isaiah 55, starting in verse 4. So it says here in 3, I will give you the holy and faithful mercies of David. Behold, I have made him a witness to the nations, a leader and commander for the nations. Behold, you will call a nation you do not know, and a nation which knows you not will run to you because of the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Some could read that and say, it applies to David. 
but it doesn't apply to David. David never went to the Gentile nations and brought them in the fold. Verse 35, therefore he says in another psalm, Psalm 16:10, you will not allow your Holy One to undergo decay. Let's stew on that a second. If David is the one that was being spoken of in these scriptures, David under, underwent decay, and he's about to point this out to them. Let's look at 36. For David, after he had served God's purpose in his own generation, fell asleep. That's a euphemism for death. He died. And was buried among his fathers and underwent decay. David's body himself underwent decay. And it's pretty amazing because some of the Herods, many years after David, went and plundered his tomb and saw his bones. David himself was not resurrected. But he whom God raised did not undergo, did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and through him everyone who believes is freed from all things from which you could not be freed through the law of Moses. He set them straight on the expectation of the Messiah. Listen, in their context, they're confused about the Messiah. It's a bad situation for them. They're, they're not even living in the land. They're living outside the land. In Deuteronomy 28, if you want the blessings of the law, you do it in the land. They're in Pisidian Antioch. And the Romans are ruling over Judea. It is a mess. So ideas of the Messiah are running rampant. And he is setting them straight. This Messiah, he came to die, yes, as it says. And he was risen from the dead. And he has now fulfilled all the things that the law could not. And he's calling them to forgiveness of sin through the sacrifice of Christ, the gospel. As he continues on, verse 40, therefore, he's got a warning for them. Therefore, See that the thing spoken of in the prophets does not come upon you. He said, I've just told you the truth. Now make sure that this doesn't happen to you. Verse 41, he quotes Habakkuk 1.5. Look, you scoffers, and be astonished and perish, for I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. He said, God has accomplished the very thing that he said to do. But here in Habakkuk 1.5, he is warning them. He's saying, I'm going to bring Babylon upon you, and you don't believe it. You, you aren't even on God's side, and you're supposed to be his people, and therefore you will suffer the consequences. He's warning them, this is your chance. Do not be like the unbelievers that were in Israel back in those days. Go where God has gone. Go where God is going. And as Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people repeatedly begged to have these things spoken to them the next Sabbath. Come back next week. Now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who were speaking to them and urging them to continue in the grace of God. So we've got a, a welcome to come back next week and explain more of these things to us and he's got actual followers, and he's telling them to continue in the grace of God. Unmerited favor. Jesus did this, not because you deserved it. He did it according to what was prophesied. 
And it's not by their works. They can't follow the, they're not even following the law by being out of the land. They are not following the law. They're supposed to be in the land. Well, let's think about some of the applications for this section. The Bible is a seamless tapestry. Take up and read. Listen, these people understood all of this. When Paul's talking to them, he doesn't have to go into this exposition, exposition to remind them or try to get them to understand what's the context of every verse. They get it. You can get to that point. This is the greatest book. This is God's word. Take up and read. Jesus is the promised Messiah. Put your faith in him. This is a call, an evangelist call. Today is the day. Come to know the Lord. Give your life to him. Put your faith in him, and you shall be saved. Through Jesus, there's forgiveness of sins, a reconciliation to God because of our sin problem. We get forgiveness in that way. Do you realize, in just a few years' time, in their time, the temple will be destroyed and there will no longer be sacrifice for them. So surely seeds were planted in these people so that when the time came that the temple was destroyed, they perhaps recalled the things that Paul had said. Through Jesus, you're freed from all the things that the law could not free you from. Hey, you come to faith in Christ. You, co you committed some sin. You're in some sin right now. You could be freed from it. You need to bring light into that darkness. Come to your brothers and sisters. Confess your sins to one another. And through Jesus, you're in the grace of God. Grace, not works. Unmerited favor. A gift given to you that you did not deserve. But God loved you enough to give it to you. All right, let's wrap this up. Verse 44. Remember, they were invited, come back next Sabbath. The next Sabbath, nearly all the city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. Wow, what a revival. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first since you repudiate it and consider yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. In Isaiah 49, 6, he said, I have appointed you as a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. This is a, an amazing thing to say to them. Because in this section, the Messiah, it said in the few verses preceding, it's not enough for you to restore the people of Jacob to restore Israel, but to go to all the nations. This salvation is proclaimed to the Gentiles as well. In verse 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And all who had been appointed to eternal life believed appointed to eternal life. You want to cover that topic? Well, we're out of time just about, so <laughs> we'll do predestination some other time. All right, and the, <laughs> verse 49, and the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. Did you hear that? And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. It wasn't just Paul and Barnabas doing the spreading. 
It's people hearing, people that were prepared people, and then they go out and they spread the word. But the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and the leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their region. They had to leave Pisidia and Antioch. They had to leave the region of Pisidia. But they shook off the dust from their feet in protest against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. We're going to leave them in Iconium. We'll come back to Iconium next week. But they shook the dust off their feet. Where do we get that from? Matthew 10, 14. When Jesus sent his disciples out, he said, any, any city that accepts you, may your peace rest on them. If they reject you, shake the dust off your feet and protest against them. No forced conversions? No. Never, if anyone, in, and some did, in the history of Christianity, force convert? If somebody says no, you shake the dust off your feet and go on. What are some of the applications from this section? You will encounter persecution for standing up for the truth, especially in America these days. You will. So you need to be ready for it. Limit your time with those that reject the truth. Perhaps God has another that will reach them. I mean, you can only cast your pearls before swine so many times. Maybe it's time for you to move on. You can always pray for somebody. I mean, I, I've had long-term people that I've been sharing the gospel with many times, and I've, I, when are they going to come to know the Lord? When one plants, another waters, it's the Lord that makes it grow. Move on to the new people that are open to God's word. And that's what they're doing. They're moving on to the new people that are open to God's word. Here we see Paul and Barnabas were launched. And the whole tone and the whole story of Acts now shifts to Paul and his missionary journeys and what happens with him. And by going here, he has made it to the moon. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time that we've had in your word. We thank you for all that you've done for us and, and the way that you've led us and that way that you've allowed us to read these things ourselves. You've preserved these things. And Lord, it is your word, but your word, may it go into our hearts and into our minds and into our hands that we do not just sit idly by, but that we actually do what you've called us to do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.